Welcome to the Real Deal of Parenting podcast with Abby Johnson and Regan Long. This show covers all things pertaining to motherhood with authenticity, insight, and a healthy dose of humor with topics from a Christian perspective, ranging from the everyday challenges of raising kids of all ages to high profile issues and current events facing families. There's something for everyone. We've got a great new episode planned for you. So let's dive into today's show. Good morning, The Real Deal of Parenting. Happy Tuesday. This is our sixth episode of How Do You Take Your Coffee? And I have to say, I think our entire community has been most ecstatic about this particular episode because of who we have on this morning. And she has the craziest schedule and I cannot believe she fit us in. We are so thrilled to welcome. I mean, she has a face that's, that's, it's hard to not recognize her, her message, her story is truly chilling. Um, We have the fabulous Abby Johnson with us this morning. Abby, welcome. Thanks. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to have you. You know, I have to share, um, Again, so many people know who you are and know your background and know about your family. And I always feel like I kind of have the one up on people because I get to say, you know, I have five kids and I get the people who look at me like, how do you do it? And then Abby is going to come, you know, she's over here with, you have eight children. I do. Yeah. Eight. You have me beat. What is what is that like? If you could sum up you your your family's life since this pandemic has happened, what has life been like since last March for you guys? Like what eight children in these unprecedented times? Like what what is that like? <laughs> I mean, I people are just like. Like, oh, you know, you better, I mean, when people talk about like mask usage or like social distancing or where, and I'm like, I, like, I get the concept. Like I do, I get it. But, um, we just don't do that around here. Like I haven't, I I haven't gone to the bathroom alone for 13 years. Like I, we don't understand the concept of social distancing in my house. Um, We, my kids, if I ask my kids to wear a mask, (laughs) like, um, no, that's just not happening. I mean, we don't, I don't know. We're, I don't know if we're just like some may call us like free range parents or um, when you have eight children um, it's just a lot of, I guess, organized chaos, you know, Um, I'm not making my eight kids wear a mask. Are you kidding me? Like I can't, I I can't, you know, people are like, Oh, virtual school. At the end of the year last year for my daughter, who's 13, who would, she's much more interested in her social life than her grades. 
Um, by the end of the year, her friends were actually logging into her account at school and finishing her work. That's like, I was like, I don't even care. I like, I, I was like, I'm just trying to survive. Like I just need my kids to be alive and I'm, I just need to deal right now. You know, like I was over like the class dojo, all the apps, all the logging in. Don't give a crap about no. Oh. Done. Like I, I was done with it. So yeah. So like if you if yeah, Grace, if one of your friends wants to log in and do <laughs> your work for you, like that might technically be called cheating, but um I by the end of the year last year, I was I had become totally fine with it. So um that's sort of where we were last year. Right. This year though, we started out in person, no mask at my school. So you yeah. are the first one. We have, you know, our communities spread across the United States, and that is the first time I've heard. Uh, and now you are in what state? Texas. Texas. That's what I thought. Incredible. I'm jealous. Yeah. I mean, I was like, we drive a 12 passenger Nissan Envy. So we roll up to the school with our car. Of course, everybody you know knows who we are. So <laughs> we're the people with eight kids, right? So we roll up in our in our huge van and um you know everybody's like oh the johnsons you know and the teachers come like roll you know they come like running up to the to the van and you know the kids are piling out it's like a a clown car they just keep you know pouring out of the car and uh you know and we're like bye bye i mean like get out bye you know and um and we, I mean, we got out of there so fast. I mean, there were probably some, like skid marks. And uh, <laughs> like, like, I love my babies. Like, I love my kids. But that was the longest spring break on the planet. <laughs> like, I feel you. I wrote about this yesterday. So I just have five, four school-aged and a baby. He's 15 yeah. months. And I share this to make people like I should feel worse about myself. I taught for 10 years. I'm highly certified. I have a dual certification in elementary and special education. If anyone should be able to do this, it's me. No, I'm I, same thing. I love my children, but I don't want to be their teacher. I'm losing my mind. It's like 11 and we're doing in North Carolina, we're doing virtual online. And last Monday was our first day. And by 11 a.m., I was crying and laughing. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I mean, it, like, and it's different, right? Like, people are like, oh, it's like homeschooling. It's not like homeschooling because things aren't open. It's it's not like homeschooling. This is um Homeschooling is very different. You know, my daughter was homeschooled for the first two years that she did school. Homeschooling is very different than what we have going on here. Grace did not have to sit in front of a screen for hours at a day, right? Hours during a day. You know, when Grace was homeschooled, we, we could go out 
to the Children's Museum for the day. We could go to, you know, wherever we wanted to go. We could go to the aquarium. I didn't have to pack a bunch of freaking masks, you know, and worry about my four-year-old walk around a mask all day, which P.S. is not going to happen. Um, you know, I, and for a large family, I mean, for us, you know, a lot of homeschooling families, I mean, you know, they can't afford to, you know, pick up and go and do all these things right now. Um, a lot of parks are still closed. You can't go and take your family to a park and you may not be able to afford to take your kids to a paying place. Right. And a lot of the free stuff is closed right now. So it, it's, it's different. The world that we're living in right now, virtual schooling is not like homeschooling. And, uh, and it's, it's hard. It's hard. And, uh, and, and Hey, PS, some of us don't want to homeschool either. I don't want to homeschool all my kids. I don't want to homeschool. That's why I put my kids in school because I don't want to homeschool. And, um, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, our kids are in a, a great uh, little private school and that's where I want them to be. And it was funny because there was a survey that came out and they were like, uh, they were like, you know, if we do a, a virtual option for uh, the school, will you, would you be interested? In I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, no, I was like, no. And like in the com, they were like comment. I'm like, no, no, right. <laughs> no, no. And uh, they gave the option for parents. And I think my daughter, she's got 12 people in person and four people doing it virtually. And that's fine. Like give the option. Sure. Um, but no, it's it's been great. I'm very very thankful that my kid. And and like I said. Love my kids. They're part of my heart. But uh, I'll see you go after on school. school. <laughs> see you after school. Go on. And, and so, Abby, what are the ages of your kids? What's the range? Yeah, they are 13, 8, 7, 6, 5, 3, 3, 1. So I still have three year old twins and a one year old at home. Oh, my goodness. That's. That's so do you and you have an incredible story. And so I feel like you're one of these people. I don't there's like, I don't know, 450 questions I want to ask you. Um, your life is just so fascinating. And what a lot of people may not know is you were your plan was to have one child, right? You had a daughter first and you were going to be one and done. And then you know, God laughed and smiled and uh had a different plan for you and your husband. And here you are eight later. Yeah. Uh, it's eight total. So it, now do you, or do you guys think your family is complete? Do you feel complete or is it kind of open? It feels complete. You know, I, I thought I forever, I just thought, Oh my gosh, am I never like, am I going to be one of those people? Like, am I going to be the Duggars? Am I going to have like 20, kids. I mean, that's sort of what I thought, you know, because I would get pregnant. I would have a baby and I would be like, I don't think I'm done. Like, I just, I didn't have that like peace, you know, in my heart. And I just kept feeling like, I think there's still one more, you know, my husband was like, Ugh. 
<laughs> Are you kidding me? You know? Um, and I would ask my friends, like even my friends that had big families, you know, like one of my, one of my good friends had six kids and she was like, Oh no. Like I knew I was done, you know, after my last one. And I was like, really? Cause I'm just not like, I'm just not feeling that. And when we had the twins, everybody was like, okay, so you're done. Right. And I was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> like, I think there's, I think there's still another one coming. And, um, People are like, you are nuts. And, um, but when, when we got pregnant with Fulton, um, I just, even during the pregnancy, I was like, okay, like, I, like, I feel this peace that I haven't had. And then, um, after I had, and it wasn't like a hard pregnancy. It wasn't like, whoo, okay, like done. You know, it wasn't that, um, but after I got, after I had him, um, I just felt this like overwhelming peace. Like God was like, okay, you're like, you're done. You know, now we're always open. I mean, if, you know, if, um, if, you know, we're always open to adoption, we are, um, Doug and I a hundred percent after our children are a little older, we plan on, um, fostering children, um, so, you know, we're, we're always open to children in our home one way or the other. Um, but as far as, you know, children coming from my womb, um, that, yeah, that train is, is closed. Wow. You know, so you're one of those people, um, I feel like, you know, the people I've spoke to about saying, oh, you know, Abby Johnson's coming on. I feel like and this is, this is huge. I feel like nine out of 10 people, unless you're living under a rock, know who you are for someone who's watching this and saying, okay, Abby Johnson, who is she? Like you're, there's so much to you in your story, but if you were to just give your one liner about yourself before I kind of get into some deeper questions, what would it be? Because there is so much to you. And I, and I'm going to highlight all the things you're doing, um, which you're, it's, it's just, just, impeccable but who are you if, if you know for those who are like abby johnson so like i guess like my one minute elevator speech is uh i am a former planned parenthood abortion clinic director um i had a, a major change of heart a, a conversion on the issue of abortion um while participating in an ultrasound guided abortion of a 13 week old baby I watched and struggled, watched as a 13-week-old baby fought and struggled for his life against the abortion instruments. At that moment, I knew that there was life and humanity in the womb. Um, I left the abortion industry and now advocate for life in the womb and uh, have, have really uh, spent the past almost 11 years of my life um, helping abortion clinic workers uh, like myself, leave the abortion industry, find hope and healing in Christ, and of course, new employment. Um, I also work to help people um, who have experienced abortion, men and women, um, heal from the pain of abortion. And uh, now through uh, uh, new ministries, I've been able to um, establish, I help women in crisis um, and uh, sort of help fill in the gaps in the pro-life movement 
uh, in various ways. And um, I'm just, you know, trying to uh, do everything I can in, in the pro-life movement to create a culture of life and to make abortion unthinkable. Oh, wow. And I, I have to tell you, just the other night, a few nights ago, I watched the movie based upon your story, Unplanned. Yeah. And I have a movie out, Unplanned. And, and you, you know, oh, oh, I, I forgot to mention that. There's a movie done on me, but you know, that's beside the fact. Yeah, so I watched Unplanned, the, the movie based upon Abby's life. It, it's available, you know, it's on Amazon Prime Video. And um, I want to ask you, I, you, you were so involved with that, right? Did you oversee everything to make sure it was... I was, I was on set about half of the time. So, I mean, I was one of the writers of the film, of uh, the script. And then, um, and then, uh, and then was, you know, there about 50% of the time I was there for, you know, most of the real like key elements of the film. So the stuff that, you know, had to do with like abortion you know, there were things that I wanted to make sure were a hundred percent accurate. So all of the abortion scenes, you know, um, you know, I there were things that were just really important to me that were not overdone, that were not over dramatized, that were you know a hundred percent right on. And so for for those scenes, you know, I wanted to make sure I was there on set, right. You know, I, um, yeah, I, I've been pro-life my entire adulthood life. And um, I have to tell you, something that's great about the film is it's, and in a good way, it's hard to watch. There's parts of it that are hard to watch. I sobbed a couple of times. Um, I get choked up talking about it, thinking about it. And it's extremely painful and uncomfortable. And yet that is where everybody needs to go and everybody needs to be because these horrific things in the world, the sex trafficking that's happening, abortion, it's easier for us to bury our heads in the sand. Oh, that's horrible. Let's say a little prayer. Yep. Yep. It's not half. It's not affecting me. It's not around me. It's, and yeah. when we turn a blind and I to it because it makes us ill and so uncomfortable and we would choose not to think about it. Nothing that, that does us no good. And so what I admire and I think so millions of us admire you is your bravery to be so brutally honest that it's, it's painful. It's painful. And I think the majority of the people, so many people I've spoken to have no clue what happens and they think it's, um, a painless process. They think it's basically the opposite of what it really is. And I think that's one of the biggest, one of the biggest issues. Well, that's what, that's what society's done, right? Like that's what the media has done. That's what they've done to abortion. So they have created this, this narrative that, and by, and by the way, Abortion should be painful for, for all of us to look at. I mean, all of us should watch that film unplanned. All of us should read about abortion and weep. I mean, all of us should look at what is happening to these babies 
and cry. I mean, the minute that we don't, right? The minute that we go, no, you know, it's pretty bad. Something inside of us has died. And, and that's, that should be problematic for us. So, you know, but what, what we're, you know, what, what's happening here and we see it in, in theater. I mean, look, there was a movie that came out. I can't even remember what it's called. It's like always, sometimes, rarely, never, or something like that. It was like all those words strung together in a different way. But, you know, it was like, it was like, um, Oh, you know, girl needs abortion. It was a pro-choice film, right? So it's like, oh, girl needs abortion. And she, you know, goes and uh, goes to a pregnancy center. And of course, you know, oh, they give her all this misinformation. And so she takes a bus and on the bus, she meets a quirky, cool guy friend and they hook up together to go get her a, an abortion. And, you know, on the way to get her abortion, they do all these fun things. And then, you know, she goes to the clinic and she meets all these fun, quirky clinic workers and she goes to have her fun abortion, you know, and it, it's like, that's not how real life is. Like that's not abortion. Right. And now there's a new movie coming out um, on HBO called Unpregnant. Okay. Unpregnant. Um, I'm sure that has, you know, nothing to do with the fact that my movie was called Unplanned. But anyway, um, Unpregnant. And, you know, oh, it's this girl that needs an abortion. And she hooks up with her fun, you know, um, rebellious friend and they, you know, drive across the country in her friend's cool car to uh, New Mexico, the late term abortion capital of the world. And, you know, they go and have this fun, uh, this, this fun road trip across the country to go have her late term abortion. And, you know, it's all this cool music and fun shenanigans. And she goes to the clinic to have her abortion it's like they have sterilized abortion. They have create, they have romanticized it into something that it's not, you know, abortion is not fun. It's not some big road trip where you go meet all these fun, quirky people along the way. It is a horrific experience. It is, painful on your body even women who believe they are you know wanting this procedure it is still soul crushing for them because i can tell you the the place in the abortion room the place in the abortion clinic where every single woman, even a pro-choice woman, regrets their abortion, is the recovery room. Because the recovery room is filled with pro-choice women who wanted to have that abortion. It's filled with those women sitting in that, rec in that recliner crying about their abortion. And they have about 20 to 30 minutes to justify their decision and to convince themselves that that abortion, that killing their baby was still the right thing to do. 
And the majority of the time, they're able to suck it up and do it. And they walk out of that room and they say, nope, that was the right decision for me. And they, in that room, in that recovery room, as they're sitting there trying to quiet their sobs, they sit at a crossroads. And, and at that crossroad, they can either choose to humanize their baby and they can choose to love their baby and they can choose sorrow and they can choose humanity and they can choose love and they can choose to memorialize their baby or they can choose to harden their heart. And 98% of them will choose to harden their heart. And those women, when they harden their heart, they choose, they choose to become pro-choice advocates. And so when we're out there and we meet these women who are yelling in our face about how pro-choice they are, I can tell you that the majority of them have sat in that recovery room and they were at that crossroad. And so, you know, but the, the, the most silent room, the saddest room in an abortion clinic is that recovery room. Because every single woman sat in there and they cried. Because the reality of what they did, it, it all sat in their soul for at least 20 minutes. And it, it's just a, it's a sad reality. It's a sad place to be. Um, and it should be sad. It should be sad for, for all of us. And I think, you know, uh, when you're talking about that and is they're trying to rationalize what they did, it's almost like it must be like a survival coping mechanism. In order for me to be able to stand up on my two feet and walk out of here and, and live, I, I have to rational, I have to create this own truth in my head that what I did was okay. I had to do it. There was no other choice. And, and I think um, what I also appreciated you making a part of, of Unplanned was the fact how that counseling session went and, you know, you know, telling these, these pregnant women, it's not yet a baby. Um, or, you know, if you, sure, you can leave here, but if you wait a week, the price is going to drive up all of these ways to encourage them. No, you need this now. Well, it's a, it's a sales technique. And I think it's, it's interesting because people are like, I just don't understand how a woman could choose an abortion. And I'm like, you don't like I do. I mean, a woman who's, I mean, I don't, I am a woman who's had two abortions. So of course I can, but like, I like, I get it. I understand. I mean, a woman who's scared, who's feeling alone, a woman whose boyfriend has just said, if you don't get this abortion, I'm leaving you. A woman whose parents have said, if you don't get an abortion, we're kicking you out of the house. I mean, a woman who went to a facility for help and then she finds somebody like me on the other side who says, how are you going to finish school with a baby? How are you going to ever get the, the, I mean, what was your, 
you know, what's your dream job to be a doctor? Okay. Yeah. Right. Like, how are you going to finish medical school with a baby in tow? You're not going to be able to do that. I mean, you know, how, how are you going to be able to finish school? You're never going to be able to finish school with a baby. You know, I mean, abortion is obviously what you need, what you need to do. And this is going to be over so fast and it's only $450 and I have funding that can help you. And if you just go ahead and book today, I can give you a discount on the ultrasound. I mean, like I, and especially if they're Christian, I can, I could book their appointment faster if they're a Christian than if they're a non-Christian, because if they're Christian, then they already have some shame inside of them for getting pregnant outside of marriage. They don't want to disappoint their parents. They don't want to disappoint the people around them. They don't want to be the woman that's, you know, pregnant and not married and walking around church. They don't want to have that shame and that stigma surrounding them. Look, almost 60% of women who are having abortions are professed Christians. So, I mean, we have a problem inside of the church. So when people are like, well, I just don't understand how women can get abortions. I'm like, well, you know, I don't understand how you sin every day either, but you do it. Right? It's just, it's everybody sins. You just sin differently. Yeah. So it's, but it's that sort of attitude. Like, well, I don't understand how you can participate in that kind of sin. Well, I don't understand how you gossip about your best friend. Right. I wouldn't do that, but you may do that. I don't understand how you lust after another man down the street because I think my husband's super hot and I would never do that to my husband, but you may do it. Like, I don't understand the way that you participate in your sin. So, you know, check, check yourself, right? Like as John Chris says, check your heart, right? Because, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying not to call sin, sin, like, of course we should, but everybody's got their own stuff. And, um, so I, I definitely understand how a woman could make that, could make that decision, especially when she's got people, I mean, true salespeople on the opposite end of that desk, really pushing her. And coercing her and using that opportunity when she is so vulnerable. I mean, using that opportunity to to push her into that decision. I totally get it. And I think when we're most vulnerable and like you said, experiencing that inner shame and fear. My God, fear is probably the biggest weapon against us all. We are, are, we are the most influential. So when you're looking for that one person to save you and rescue you and have your solution for you, and they happen to be sitting on that, no matter what that person says, more than likely you're going to be hanging on those words. Okay. This is my solution. This is my, you know what I mean? Well, they do see it as a solution. Like if, like if any, if most people came to me and said, Abby, I'm having the biggest crisis of my life. I don't know what to do. Whatever the crisis is, right? I'm having the biggest crisis in my life. And I said, oh my gosh, if you give me $400, 
I am going to make your problem go away like in five minutes. Most people would be like, I'm going to get you that $400. I mean, most people would. And that's what we promise them. We promise them for a little over $400, if even that, because we have funding options, right? right? Warren Buffett will fund half of their abortion. So just, you know, a little bit, just a little bit of money. I'm going to make the biggest crisis you have ever faced in your life go away just like that. And you'll never have to think about it again. It just goes away just like a poof. You'll never have to think about this again. And nobody will ever have to know. That's what we promise them. I, and I'm going to leave this up to you, um, whether you kind of want us, because I encourage everyone, whether, no matter where you stand, if you're pro-choice, pro-life, I encourage every single person to go watch Unplanned at some point soon, within the next week, if you haven't done so already, or, and, or YouTube Abby, look at some of the powerful talks she's given, go to her pages, she's, she's so widely followed on all of her social media platforms. But one thing, um, and you can go as deep or is, is not as you'd like, if you could walk us through that day you were called back to, to, to help to see the ultrasound. Um, what, one of my goals from having you on Abby, if I have a pregnant mom watching this right now, who's debating and she changes her mind, and we've saved a baby's life, then I, I'm just, that's amazing right there. So I, I feel like some of, some of the, the gruesome, horrific details like may need shared because people just don't realize, but I feel like God absolutely had that orchestrated so perfectly that you needed to go back there that day. You needed to see what was happening. And so when you were called back to be a part of that, you're the director, you're called back, they were short, they needed someone to just walk us through that, to, to do the yeah. ultrasound. Yeah, so um, I was called back to um, assist during the procedure to hold the ultrasound probe in place on the woman's abdomen so that the doctor would be able to see the baby during the ultrasound during the abortion procedure, we um, did the measurement of the baby and the baby was 13 weeks along. Now um, at 13 weeks, everything on an unborn child is completely formed. So arms, legs, fingers, toes, um, uh, the heart has been beating since 18 days um, after conception, which is amazing. Um, Brainwaves are functioning by this point. Um, every internal organ that we sit here with today has been fully formed on an unborn child since 12 weeks. Outside of the womb, the baby's about this big. And uh, we can even tell if it's a boy or a girl at this point. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about a fully formed a human baby. Uh, this baby just needs time to grow um, so that uh, 
so that their lungs can develop and they can live on their own outside of, outside of their mother. Um, so, um, I was uh, looking at the screen and I could see the, uh, the suction tube go into the woman's uterus. I could see it getting closer and closer to the side of this baby. The suction wasn't yet turned on. And, um, and when the suction finally, uh, touched the, uh, side of the baby, uh, the baby jumped and, um, he began flailing his arms and legs, uh, as if he was trying to move away, uh, from, from the abortion instrument. And, um, when the physician had everything in the right, right position, he asked the technician to turn on the, um, suction machine. And he said, beam me up, Scotty. And, um, the suction was turned on and I watched as this, um, baby just, um, was torn apart in his mother's womb, uh, piece by piece. And, um, in just a few seconds, um, the screen was black. I knew that that meant, um, the uterus was empty. The abortion was successful. And, um, and I went back to my office that day and, um, I knew that I could, you know, I could never participate in an abortion again. I mean, people are like, well, what did you think happened? And I can tell you, I, I don't know, but not that I didn't think, um, I didn't think that a baby would actually try to fight for his life. Um, you know, I, what, what I thought was just so beautiful that was conveyed in the movie was uh, how much your husband loved you and just kind of prayed for the moment that you would come to realize your parents as well. And it was, it had to be in your own time it had to be a, a, like a, a come to Jesus moment where you actually, you had to see this, you know, in order to, and now be, I, I truly think, I don't think there's another person out there who can advocate and has a voice like you do. Um, the powerful voice, like God has used all of that to now fuel and save so many babies' lives. And and I do think you're there, you're the director and you, again, you didn't think that was happening. So, so many of these women are being assured it's, it's painless, that, you know, the baby's not going to suffer. Um, 
And yet here we are with a, with a real human baby having, having limbs pulled off. Well, and you know, I, you know, I do want to say it, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a terrible, it's a terrible reality um, to have to come to. I think that's, that's why so many women um, choose to justify their abortion, right? As I was talking about in that recovery room, I think that's why so many women choose justification over truth because um, dealing with the truth is hard. Dealing with the truth means you have to face the fact that you paid someone that you were an accomplice to kill your child. That's a, that's a very weighty sort of burden to carry. It's much easier to say, eh, it was just tissue, right? Like it wasn't really a baby. It was really nothing. Um, so I do want to say this because I have a feeling, I mean, gosh, if God can save a baby through this, like, and God can save a baby through this, you know, he's, he's that awesome. But, um, I believe that God can bring redemption and healing to women who are watching this as well. And I believe that there are, you know, there are probably I believe that I know, <laughs> I know that there are women watching this who have had abortions um, and are probably um, struggling with even just the description um, that I gave just now. And, um, you know, I want you to know that um, you don't have to carry this burden around alone, um, that uh, there is healing that uh, there's forgiveness and uh, there's true freedom um, from your past abortion, no matter how many abortions you've had. I've had two abortions. Um, I have helped to facilitate 22,000. And if God can free me of that, he can free you. And, um, and that's what he wants. He wants to take that burden from you. He doesn't want you to live with that. And, um, and so I, I just want to encourage you, you know, people ask me all the time, they say, you know, gosh, Abby, how do you, how do you get over something like that? And, uh, how do you not just cry all the time, you know? And, um, you know, and there, and there's, there's sort of this, you know, movement and, and God bless them. I, you know, I love, I love these sisters in the Lord, but you know, there's these women that hold up signs that say, I regret my abortion. I can't honestly hold up a sign that says I regret my abortion because God has freed me of that regret. I, I can't, uh, I don't live with that anymore. Um, so I, it's just not honest. That would be dishonest for me because he's taken my past and he's used it for his glory. And so I, I can't live with regret. Right. Um, 
So, but people say, you know, gosh, Abby, how do you even get out of bed with that kind of burden? You know, 22,000 baby, how do you do it? And my answer is, this is sort of like lame and cheesy, but my answer is, is that it took practice. It just, it takes time. It takes practice. And sisters, you've got to give yourself grace. Um, you know, when I first left the clinic and I, and really sort of the realization that of everything that I had participated in sort of, you know, came down on me and I felt this weight, um, you know, I, I realized that every day that I got up, I had to make a choice. I could either, I could wake up and I could choose to live in, um, I could live in the past. I could live in the place that I cannot change. We cannot change our past. Uh, that's where that's where the enemy wants me to live, the place that I cannot change. That, let me tell you something, that is the devil's playground, is our past. So I could live in, in that past, the place that I cannot change, or I could wake up and I could live in the present. In this, in this gift that God has given me, I could live for him, today and I could allow him to use my past for today and I could live in him and I'll be honest with you some days I did not choose wisely you know someday especially in the beginning you know some days I woke up and I was you know I was like mm, today I'm uh, I'm just gonna be sad, you know, and uh, I'm going to be real sad, and I'm gonna be I'm just gonna throw a pity party for myself, and I'm going to drink way too much wine, and uh, I'm just gonna sit around in bed and watch Netflix all day, and just be bummed out all day, and I'm just gonna remind myself of the terrible person that I am. And uh, that's going to be me today. And um, some days I did that. But most days I chose the gift that God gave me. And eventually over time, I didn't even have to make the choice anymore. Eventually, I was living in God's grace so much and so often, and it was so good. I didn't ever want to step out of it. You know, I didn't, I didn't have to make the choice anymore. And that's where you can get to. You can get to that place too, but it just, it takes time. And so, be patient with yourself, have grace for yourself, just like you would have with, with a friend, you know, give yourself grace, um, get involved, you know, find and, and look, tell somebody, 
that you're struggling. Share your story with somebody. Satan controls what you keep in secret. Whatever you keep hidden, Satan will keep bound. Now, I'm not saying you need to step on, on a stage like I do and share your story. But whatever you keep in secret, Satan will, will keep bound up inside of you. So you've got to bring that out to the light. When you bring it out to the light, the roaches scatter, right? Satan will scatter. Tell somebody you love, somebody you trust, your best friend, your pastor, your pastor's wife, what, like, whatever, okay? Like, tell somebody and um, just even if it's one person, I mean, it will, it will change, it will change your life. And, and then know that there are programs available to help you. There are many amazing healing programs available to help you out there. They're available through pregnant pregnancy resource centers. There's a program, uh, the group that we always, always, always send people to um, is called Support After Abortion. Um, they can uh, hook you up with local programs. They have online programs. They can get you um, started with. Um, it's a it's a great resource for you. So, um, but it there's there's a lot of power in in you know getting connected with a program that actually has you know a a book a workbook a plan that you can sort of go through and and um and and hear what god says about who you are right and about you know who he made you to be so um and about forgiveness um and his mercy you know like listen you know listen to um, what he says about who you are Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can stay up to date with what we're doing at therealdealofparenting.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. Thanks for spending your time with us. Let's talk soon.